In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Welcome to this edition of The Kingdom and Its Stories. In this radio broadcast, we try to tell stories from many followers of Jesus who have experience in being the hands and feet of Jesus, being Jesus' hands and feet. And today we have with us Hannah Miley and uh, my co-host Julian Gibb and I are with her. Uh, and uh, Hannah, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us today. Thank you for joining us. And I'm going to uh, turn uh, the interview over to Julian, whom you know. And uh, so guys, go for it. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Julian. How are you? Good. Good. Yeah, so uh, Hannah, I've had the pleasure of uh, knowing you and George, your husband, for uh, around eight years now. And uh, I've always uh, enjoyed your company and been impressed by uh, who you are, your humility. But little did I know that uh, a few years into knowing you, that you had this um, amazing story, life story, and uh, that you were, God was doing wonderful things through you. And I never knew. And I just remember hearing your story and it just stunning me and it's one that never gets tired and it's one that that's ongoing so I just wanted to take this time to share with uh, those who are listening about you and your life story so could you give us um, a little bit of a bio about about uh, your childhood and uh, the events that took place yes um, Julian I'm I'm thinking uh, what should I say? And, you know, I'm very um, intrigued by uh, kind of the overall title of this series, uh, to be the feet and the hands of Jesus. And I've been thinking about how that affects my story and the question you've asked me. So maybe um, I can say right at the beginning, just as I continue to meditate, what does that mean? What does it mean to me looking back at my life? I'm 88 years old, and so it's a long story. But as I look back, I'm thinking, you know, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, has, has that been my experience? And, you know, I think that um, the hands and the feet are the extremities of our body. And um, really, it's the head and the heart that uh, um, coordinates and leads those extremities. And, you know, it, it brings me back to my story is really the story of Jesus' mercy and love. You know, I think my early experiences were deeply, deeply tragic there were huge losses. Uh, when I was seven 
years old, um, Hitler was in power. He actually came to power in Just to, so uh, so Hitler was in power. The Nazis were uh, moving in and uh, attacking the Jewish people. And so you, your parents, in order to save you, they, they put you on on, on one of the, the kinder transport trains and you escaped to to England. Uh, and just reading your book, you know, Garland for Ashes, just just in there, they, you arrived in Coventry as a seven year old girl, couldn't speak the language, didn't know where you were, didn't know where your parents were. And uh, and that was when the city got bombed flat around you. Is that is that right? Yes, yes. Oh, my. We lived just outside the city. And uh, I actually saw the city burning. I mean, there was, oh. it was night and there were flames in the sky. And in the morning, uh, we had to leave. There was another leaving. But I went with the family, and we actually drove through Coventry oh. streets through the rubble. Oh my goodness! So, so Hannah, I, I'm just trying to. Uh, it's impossible, but to put myself in your shoes, and uh, and, so, and so everything's been stripped from you, and you you are literally in a war zone. Uh, you've been forced out of your own country by people who hate you and loathe you. Not you personally, but being, uh, you know, from the, the Jewish uh, race. And so, um, so you, arrive, you arrive in England. And then, and then what, what happens through your, your childhood? I mean, I'm just thinking myself in your situation, I would be just a complete mess. You know, uh, how, what, how, what state were you in? Where, what, what sort of emotions were running through you? You know, um, this is a mixture because in one way, 
I had been plucked out of the burning. Uh, but um, I was, I gathered all my strength to write, kind of become a different person. I repressed, you know, I, I, I even didn't want to think about my parents because, you know, as a child, you have weird understandings. And I felt as though they'd abandoned me, whereas yeah. in actual fact, they had given the supreme act of love. It was sacrificial love. But um, I didn't, there was no one to really help me process. And so my method was to repress it all. And I became a different person. And I tried to be a nice English girl. But sometimes the anger and the bitterness would burst out, you know. And, and, and I couldn't kind of push it down. So, you know... Uh... You could say many things in our in our society, in our world. We have events, things that people have done to us or even things that we've done, which we try to, to suppress, to, to keep bottled down, keep, keep capped and squashed down so that we can get on with our, our daily lives. But as you were saying, they, they, they can bubble up. They're still there, rotting us, corroding us from the inside. And hence the reason for other crutches like alcohol or drugs or whatever. Um, but, but what did you do? How did you escape, rather, I should say, this cycle? What happened to you? Um, you know, it really wasn't until I was in my mid-twenties that I came to the end. You know, somehow we, we have a real um, capacity to keep going. And I kind of gritted my teeth and kept going. But by the time I came to the mid-twenties, uh, it was almost like unbearable. And you see, this is where I kind of see the sovereign hand of God. You know, I see the sovereign hand of God in that rescue on the kinder transport because I was one of 10,000 children, Jewish children that were rescued from Europe over a period of about 11 months. But um, here I was... Um, in this crisis, and in the timing of God, there was this happening in uh, England. Uh, you know, it was the late 50s and the early 60s, and Billy Graham was the talk of the town. Uh, this American evangelist, <laughs> and people were intrigued, and people would flock the thousands to hear him. Now, I was teaching in the south of England, and um, he, uh, the, he was, um, his messages were relayed by radio, so there was no visual, it was just the sound. And actually, it was a Church of England in Horsham, Sussex, that linked up with this uh, uh, messages from Manchester, England, and I went there out of sheer curiosity, just curious because everybody else was talking about it. Um, and in the mercy of God, that is where I first heard that I could take all that darkness within me, which, you know, the anger and the hatred 
was harming me, but it was also sin, you know, that I had been sinned against. But my response was also uh, destructive and sinful. And um, Jesus, it was like he, he said to me, bring that to me and give it to me. And I saw Jesus on the cross and I could bring those things to him. And uh, when Billy Graham invited everyone who God was calling to come forward, that was a very, very hard step because I was a school teacher. People knew I was a school teacher and I had a persona that I needed to protect. So I thought, and I didn't want to reveal that I had needs. You know, we were already prone to... um, Uh, cover up our needs and uh, project who we think we ought to be. And there was a little battle going on in me, but I stood up and I went forward. And I would say that was the beginning of healing. I wouldn't say a switch was turned on and everything was bright and lovely, but there was this dramatic change, which I felt was the, Jesus had come into me. He had lifted the darkness and his light came in. So, so go ahead, Bob. This, just for those of you who are listening, I want to remind you that you're listening to uh, this week's version of The Kingdom and Its Stories. And we have Hannah Miley with us, who uh, is telling her story of how Jesus touched her and and she'll be leading us a little further to tell us about how Jesus used her to touch others. So, Julian, back to you. So, Hannah, yeah, just, what you said just sort of is, is extremely powerful. You know, it's sort of about uh, we all have needs. We all we all are slightly broken. I know that's politically incorrect, but you know, we're all slightly in need of help of people to to to, to love and to be in love with. And you were, you were saying how uh, you had to drop your persona in order that you could reach out and, 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 and receive love. You had to. And so, um, so, so Jesus, uh, and you, uh, as you were saying, paraphrasing you, came to you through hearing his word through Billy Graham. And, um, and it wasn't like this instant healing. One minute you were sort of broken and, and uh, the next minute you were sort of on the path to... Uh, to complete restoration and healing. And um, so it's this long sort of uh, process. But did you have to go through that process of healing, of forgiveness alone, or, or was Christ there helping you? Um, totally, totally. He was helping me because, you know, um, there was some real helpful follow-up. Some local uh, believers uh, got in touch with me because it, there was a whole movement of young people who came to Christ uh, in this small town. And what happened next was I was very um, certain that Jesus had forgiven me, but he was speaking to me about forgiving those who had hurt me. Now, um, I had individual memories of anti-Semitic words that were thrust at my father in my presence, things like that. But it was also kind of this national thing because I really 
had a real hatred for Germany and everything it stood for. And so the first step was for me to ask God, God's help uh, to forgive. And I remember that first week uh, being alone with God and asking him to help me. And I, I felt um, kind of this uh, sense of, yes, taking that step. But it's very interesting how uh, you do that without being in the presence of actual people or the country or the place where it happened. I was far away in England. And in an amazing way, step by step, God took me back to Germany. And I went with my husband a number of years later, and we actually went to the places where I had uh, found uh, rejection. Um, and the memories came back. One example is we went to the small town where I had um, lived the first seven years with my parents. And we walked around. It's a very lovely little town. And if you walk in the hills, you can see the, uh, a public swimming pool. And we walked in the hills, and I, the memory came back uh, of the day that I was walking with my parents. I remember holding their hands, one on each side. And we were in the path, and we looked down at the swimming pool. Now, the swimming pool had been opened in 1936. So this probably was 37. Uh, it was open for the Olympics. You know, in Germany, they had the Olympics in 1936. So they opened swimming pools all over the country. And I pleaded with my father, I want to go. I want to go in the swimming pool. I could see the people laughing and, you know, splashing. And I longed to go. And my father, in great, I remember in great sadness, he said, no, we can't go there. So, you see, that was a place that had a notice at the entrance, no Jews allowed. Oh, my goodness. So, so Hannah, with, with um, wow, so this, this separation that you had to experience in many ways and, and this healing that you experienced, your words, not mine, through, through Christ, um, you know, if, if uh, that, there's something big there to, to forgive, to, to be healed from. But, but how, how, how have you dealt with this in regards to forgiving? Can you even forgive the, you know, people? Can you, what stories can you give us of how Jesus has used you as his hands and feet into forgiving uh, people? Just reading in your book how you, know, you go to Germany now in order to, to share your story there. Could you, could you give us a, a quick story or two? about yeah. Uh, forgiveness. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing of forgiveness starts with recognizing your own sinfulness and experiencing forgiveness. The Lord's forgiveness, it melts the resistance. That's the first step. So, and then, uh, you know, he gave me grace from a distance to forgive. So actually, George and I went um, and stood at the end at the swimming pool and we prayed and we asked the Lord to cleanse and heal and lift the darkness from this place. And you know, um, 
you want uh, another story? Let me tell you about um, this event. This is more recent. Anna, we we're really running short on time, so so play, uh, tr try to condense your story for us, okay? I will. Yes, thank you for that word. <laughs> I get going, and I really good. I'm just reading and hear about this guy from Stuttgart. Is that right? Who? Yes. His father was. Uh, grandfather or whatever was 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 a guard at the concentration camp that that killed your your parents could you tell us a bit about that i was invited to go on a march for life to remember the jewish citizens of bonn i was born in bonn and so they invited me to share my testimony and at the end of the march we um there was a great crowd of germans and so i thought what shall I tell them? And the date was the date my parents died. Mm. Poland, in the gassing. They were gassed in a truck. And um, I thought, this is what I have to say. I have to read their details on what happened to them. So I did that. There was a microphone. I stood at the microphone. I went to sit down. There were some little chairs. And a man got up. He was a businessman. He must have been in his late 40s. And he stood up at the microphone and he said, my grandfather was a Nazi. He was a Nazi till he died. He was in his 90s. He was a guard in the SS. And he was in Chumno at the time of your parents' death. Uh. And I want to say to you, will you forgive me? Those are the words my grandfather could never say, but will you forgive me? And I was sitting there and talking about hands and feet of Jesus. I felt as though he was pushing me out of the chair. Jesus was pushing me. And he pushed me towards this man. And I said to him, I forgive you. And we embraced. Ah. And, you know, I believe that the things we do in places affects the people around us. Amen. And a friend of ours said to us, Bon has been changed in this moment. Wow. And I'm just reading, I don't know how much longer we've got, but I'm just reading that the German government call you back uh, in order to share your story with with schools. And, uh, and also... Uh, um, I'm reading here that you're best friends with one of Aust Austria's uh, highest Nazi leaders' daughter. So you're friends of the, da the daughter of someone who hated your race and indirectly killed your parents, and you're best friends with his daughter? Um, his daughter is called Verena, and we have a very deep friendship. She oh, went man. with me to visit the incarceration site where my parents ashes were burnt oh my my goodness and so 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 uh, in a sense god's working through the evil that was done to you he's producing good by bringing healing and restoration not only to yourself but to the people of germany yes um you know uh, both Verena and the man in bond had begun to work on their family history so 
uh, we, we had Jesus in common. But the hardest part is to really encounter people who are still bitter towards what happened and still admire Hitler. That's the test, you know, to uh, have you forgiven. My goodness. Well, Hannah's book is named A Garland for Ashes, and it's something that I would definitely recommend that you that you read. Bob. Yeah, thank you, Hannah. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And my prayer is that those who are listening can take the example of what God has done in your life to be able to help you to be able to forgive and through forgiveness to be Jesus' hands and feet. And so my prayer for those of all of us, including those who are listening, to ask God, God, how can you use us today to use forgiveness as a tool to be your hands and your feet? So may God bless you and encourage you and inspire you to do the same. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on the Kingdom and its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.